Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Let's continue our deep dive into the life and times and exploits of Samuel Champlain with the help of excerpts from David Hackett Fisher's book, Champlain's Dream. Champlain is best remembered for his role as an explorer. He explored much of North America through what are now six Canadian provinces and five American states. He was the first European to see much of this countryside, and he enabled us to see it through his eyes. His unique methods raise the question about how he did that work, and with what result. Champlain also mapped this vast area in yet another role as a cartographer. His many maps and charts set a new standard for accuracy and detail. Experts wonder how he made maps that were more accurate than the instruments at his command. He embellished his maps and manuscripts with drawings that left us a visual record of the new world, which alone would make him an important figure. To study the few originals is to discover the skill and refinement of his art, but nearly all his art survives only in crude copies that challenge us to recover the spirit of his work. Champlain was a prolific writer. He is most accessible to us through his published books, which exceed in quantity and quality the work of every major explorer of North America during his era. They covered a broader area, spanned a longer period, and drew deeply on the intellectual currents of his age. Still, the problem is to find the mind behind the prose. In his books, Champlain played a role as a pioneer ethnographer, he left a rich body of first-hand description about many Indian nations in North America. A challenging problem is to sort out truth from error. He was also a naturalist. Champlain loved plants and animals, gathered information about the flora and fauna of the New World, and studied the climate and resources of the places he visited. He planted experimental gardens in four colonies. Especially important to his posterity was Champlain's role as a founder and leader of the first permanent French settlements in North America. A major part of his life was his economic association with many trading companies that paid for New France. This was Champlain's most difficult role and his least successful. Wealthy investors often defeated him, and many companies failed. But in his stewardship, New France somehow survived three decades of failure which is not only unknown, but a mystery. Through those same three decades, from 1603 to 1635, Champlain returned to France in most years. He had another busy career as a courtier and a tireless promoter of his American project. Four people ruled France in that era. Henry IV until 1610, Marie de' Medici as Queen Regent after 1610, Louis XIII from 1617, and Richelieu as First Minister from 1624. Champlain worked directly with all except the Queen Regent, argued vigorously for New France, and prodded them so forcefully that one wonders how he stayed out of the Bastille. One of Champlain's most important roles was in the peopling of New France. In 30 years, Champlain did more than any other leader to establish three French-speaking populations and start them growing in North America. Each of these three populations developed its own distinct culture and speechways, which made them Quebecois, Acadian, and Métis. They are among Champlain's many legacies. Champlain also played a role in the religious history of New France. He worked with Protestant ministers, Catholic priests, Recollets, Jesuits, and Capuchins. His Christian faith was deeply important to him, increasingly so as he grew older. 
but he struggled to reconcile an ideal of tolerance with the reality of an established church, a problem that he never solved. If nothing else, his life was a record of stamina with few equals. But always it was more than that. Champlain was a dreamer. Like most visionaries, he dreamed of many things. Several scholars have written about his dream of finding a passage to China. Others have written of his dream for the colonization of New France. But all these visions were part of a larger dream. This war-weary soldier had a dream of humanity and peace in a world of cruelty and violence. He envisioned a new world as a place where people of different cultures could live together in amity and concord. This became his grand design for North America. Champlain was a leader, but he was not a saint. He was a mortal man of flesh and blood, a very complicated man. He made horrific errors in his career, and some of his mistakes cost other men their lives. His private life was deeply troubled, particularly in his relations with women. Champlain lived comfortably as a man among men, but one discovery eluded this great discoverer. He never found the way to a woman's heart. It was not for want of trying. He was strongly attracted to women, but his most extended relationship ended in frustration. His ideal of humanity was very large, but it was also limited in strange, ironic ways. Champlain embraced the American Indians, but not his own French servants. He had deep flaws and made many enemies, responded badly to criticism, and could be very petty to rivals. But other men who knew this man wrote of him with respect and affection. Even his enemies did so. We have an opportunity to study this extraordinary man in a new light. The literature about Champlain is like a century plant. It blooms every hundred years, then fades and blooms again. At the start of the 20th century, a very large literature ran heavily to hagiography and celebrated Champlain as a saintly figure. After 1950, the inevitable reaction set in. Popular debunkers and academic iconoclasts made Champlain a favorite target. These attacks were deepened by a fin de siècle attitude called political correctness, with its revulsion against dead great white men, especially empire builders, colonial founders, and discoverers. Since the turn of the 21st century, attitudes have been changing yet again. A result has been to undercut the writings of the iconoclasts. Two generations ago, the dominant source for Champlain's life was his own writing, which inspired skepticism. Today, in every chapter of his life, we can test his own accounts against the evidence of archaeology, archival materials, and other narratives, complex chronologies, and interlocking sources in great variety. One of the most important opportunities of this inquiry is for us to get right with both Champlain and the American Indians. Two generations ago, historians wrote of European saints and Indian savages. In the last generation, too many scholars have been writing about Indian saints and European savages. The opportunity for our generation is to go beyond that calculus of saints and savages altogether and write about both American Indians and Europeans with maturity, empathy, and understanding. Many of the places that Champlain described in the 17th century can still be seen today, not precisely as he saw them, but they are not yet a world we have lost. It is still possible to explore them by car and plane, by canoe and kayak, by sailboat and zodiac boat, by snowshoe, and some of the best places are accessible only by foot. At all these many sites we can rediscover this great discoverer by going there and doing it and traveling through his space 
in our time. A leader in the making, a child of brouage. To travel the old roads on the coast of France, south along the Bay of Biscay, is to find a beautiful and haunted place. Champlain's place was Saint-Ange. In his time, it was the name of a province, a people, a language, a culture, and a way of life. A few miles below the 18th-century navy town of Rochefort, cross the sparkling waters of the River Charente on a high-arched modern bridge, entered a region that was like another world. The terrain felt more like a floating island than part of the French mainland, a web of waterways and salt marshes, with seabirds swooping overhead and long views of sea and sky. On a sunny spring morning, the fields were green with new growth, and the roadsides were brilliant with red poppies. Near the center of this region, rising before was an old seaport that lies far from the sea. Its massive stone fortifications were once washed by the tide. Today, they are a mile inland, surrounded by pastures and grazing cattle. Four centuries ago, this little town was an important center of Atlantic trade. Today, it is still a place of striking beauty, but its harbor has nearly disappeared. Broad streets that were built for commerce were empty, and footsteps echoed in the silence of an empty town. The stone battlements carpeted with wildflowers, blooming abundantly in the bright Biscayan sun. This is the town of Brouage, where Samuel Champlain lived as a child. Its colorful history was the salty broth in which our hero was cooked. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.